It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. And welcome to the podcast for this Monday. As we uh, look back at a busy weekend in college basketball, we're going to touch on a little UC football on the show. We'll talk about uh, UC's trip to Indy that Chad Brendel did not get a chance to make. The loss to Butler. Uh, Xavier getting back on track. Maybe a little Kentucky basketball. And... Special guest today, the head coach of the NKU Norse, off to a seven and three start this season. John Brandon is going to join us a little later on. You're going to be all right, Rick. I know you're you're uh, you're NKU's biggest fan. Having the coach on is kind of just a professional doing professional things. That NKU wants to be on our podcast. I know. I think it's great. I love it. I do. I, I think it's outstanding. That's skinny podcast is growing. It is absolutely. We we actually looking forward to having Coach Brandon on. He'll be a, he'll be a great guest for us. Absolutely. All right. Let's uh, let's though touch a little bit of UC football first and foremost. Even though it's a basketball podcast, but we do have to touch on it because you uh, it, it affected your basketball Saturday because you were supposed to go to Hinkle Fieldhouse, Chad Rendell, and couldn't make the trip because UC opted to hold the uh, the press conference for Luke Fickle then and there on on Saturday afternoon. Aside from the disappointment of that, what uh, what what did you draw from what you heard from the new coach? Um, I, I went in kind of uh, blank. Slate. I didn't really want to go in with any preconceived, like, you know, going back to think of what his presser at Ohio State was like when he took over or any of that. I went in completely empty. I left thinking Mike Bone made a really, really good hire. Um, he was, he was, energe- he had good energy. He was concise. He didn't ramble. There were no hold the rope, row the boat, rep the tee, brick by brick. There was none of that crap. Um, I, I thought he delivered no champions of life, no champions of life. I thought he delivered, um, his vision of what he wants the program to be. Uh, I thought it fit with, with where the program needs to head. Um, I, I just, in general, overall, I was very, very impressed, um, with the way that he handled the entire situation. And I, I got the feeling and he kind of hinted at it. I got the feeling he's, he's had his eye on this job for some time. And he has been preparing to to get this job for a while. I, I think once this season kind of started going south, I think Luke Fickle went in attack mode and, and said, I'm going to get that job and, and was relentless until he got it. I, I, I will say this. If you look at at, um, at what the league did, we talked about this. I mean, you put three coaches into three Maybe the Baylor situation isn't a good situation, but, but it's, it's a good job yeah. and it's good money. I mean, three good situations out of this league. And I look at a former defensive coordinator, Chris Ash, who was at Ohio State, ended up taking a, taking the Rutgers job. I, it, great, you're in a Power Five league. You're, you're probably making Terrible a little job. bit more money, but you, it, it's a death knell. This that, that's is, this like is much Purdue, better. That's like the Purdue job, right. almost worse. I mean, it just, yeah. I just don't understand that. You know what's interesting with him? He talked about staying, and I, I don't know that he's a, a guy that's going to jump around a lot. One, because... I think he genuinely wants to be in Ohio, mm-hmm. and other than going back and replacing Urban at some point in time, which obviously where, has to be his goal, right? right. But yeah. but where else is he going to go? Yeah, like, and, and you know, I mean, that could be three years, five years. I mean, Urban will probably burn himself out at yeah. some point. It's it's, it's and, and where it's will Fickle be improving himself at right. that point in time? That's correct. Um, With continued Ohio ties on top of all, yeah. Um, so, you know, um, Westside Jesus is not coming back. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess I was going to say that. But, Did you like that? Yeah, what, that was pretty well done. What, what, what do you think took place there? Uh, Urban gave him a raise and a, a 
Hug around, the, hug around the neck. Yeah, co-defensive coordinator. I heard it was uh, all but locked up until he listened to Brendel on, on air and, and that's read what, his message board. And, 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 <laughs> and he said, enough's enough? Yeah, he's like, I ain't going back there. Yeah, it was that and the uh, extra three dollars $400,000 that Ohio State's putting on his contract. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> I think it was all you. All you all the time. No, I, I heard a, a few people draw the analogy that, that it was kind of Mark D'Antonio-like, now, maybe even with a little more personality yeah. than Mark, but, but just that solid – um, vision, all that kind of stuff that I think coming off of Tommy Tuberville, which, again, he was a lot of flash personality and, and good old boy talking, probably the way the program needed. Yeah, I think he's going to be a lot more um, player-oriented. I think he's going to be in those guys' face instead of, you know, Tommy was Tommy was really good for, like, getting getting a few barbs in yep. and, like, joking around with them, but I, I never got that real feeling like, you know, he was he was right there with them. Right. Um so I, I think this is uh, it's a it's an interesting direction. I think it's a, an exciting direction that there's something to be said, Skinny. For and you've you've been the boss. You've done some hiring before. There's something to be said for the guy that wants the job. Yeah, no and I, I think he more than anyone else that they spoke to aggressively wanted the job and 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 went all out to get it. Um, so I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. Um, I guess final question for you, though, is do you think he likes Chipotle sauce? Chipotle. Chipotle. <laughs> You're going to have to come up with that. I mean, his I, voice is kind of. It's, it's very, it's very, very Midwest. It's very Midwestern. Yeah, yes, it just yeah. sounds like you talking. Yeah. He, he does. He Darn does. It. He does kind of have some uh, an Adam Sandler look to him. He though, does. Yeah, so right, that's right. You could you could maybe drop in like some a uh, Gilmore's. the Hanukkah song. Oh, or, that's great. Maybe we'll do that. That's all you, Rick Boren. I'll, I'll work diligently on this college basketball podcast to find UC football audio. Just, just for that. Thanks, yeah. Thanks very well, much. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, let's move on to the, to the basketball side of things, and we'll stay with UC because, uh, as I mentioned, you didn't get a chance to make the trip, but I know you followed the game. Thanks for reminding me. And, uh, uh, good first half, and, and things just kind of didn't go go well in the second half for UC. No, Butler shot a ton of free throws in the second half, and uh, they were the more aggressive team. They were the better team, um, and that – I thought that was pretty uh, pretty clear watching the second half. They were they were more aggressive. They were in attack mode. UC was kind of uh, passive, and I, I you know when Kyle Washington's not playing well, that offense just struggles to find its rhythm because he's kind of the guy that makes it go. I think, and and I think we we saw again from Jacob Evans that he has to be more aggressive. He got aggressive in the final five minutes. Too little, too late. Too little, too late. Yep. But I mean, from the jump, that kid has to come out looking to get points. I think, I think he took maybe one shot in the first half, and with like eight, seven or eight minutes left in the game, he had four shots. Yeah, and that that can't happen from him. We talked about it a little bit earlier in the year. I think you're right about Kyle Washington. Right now, he's the go-to guy that powers this offense, and when he's not going, they all of a sudden can't score like we've seen in years past. And to me, that's a you're right. Jacob Evans is the guy that has to get it going. They have to find ways to get him going because he is still young. He clearly hasn't figured out how to stay aggressive and how to lead an offense yet. And it's an interesting thing because Kyle's kind of taken that alpha male yep. role over in the offense. So Jacob, they have to find a way to get him going when Kyle is not. Or you're right, they're not going to be able to beat good teams, especially on the road. Now, all that being said, we can analyze this game as much as we want. It goes back to the fact that there were maybe two or three teams in the country that were going to beat Butler after they had lost at Indiana State. No Look, doubt. Right? We talked about that on Friday. I mean, it was, you were in a tough, tough situation. That was the, probably the worst thing that could have happened is, is they lost that game at Indiana State. Yeah. It absolutely was. I mean, literally, the, there's like three teams that are too talented that they would beat Butler almost no matter what. Yeah. And other than that, Kentucky, Butler, Duke, UCLA. 
yeah. would have beat Butler. And other than that, everyone yeah. at Villanova, maybe other than that, everyone right. else in, in the country probably would have lost that tinkle th- in that game. Yeah. The other part is too. UC got nothing out of the bench basically. Forty-two minutes of almost nothingness. They have four what four points four from points Jaren Cumberland. That's it. That's it. They, they, that group has. I, I think that group is helping in a lot of ways, and they're and they're providing some solid minutes. But scoring is not their forte by by any stretch, and they need to get more from those guys. I mean, getting getting four points and you know basically no, nothing. They got nothing from the bench, and not good. Yeah. Well, it also wasn't good. Mick Cronin gets teed up with, what, a little bit over five minutes to go. It was a nine-point game. I don't know if you were going to come back from that. Cough counter. Oh, thank you very much. What are we up to? That was just one. That was the first one? Yeah. Holy cow. Pre-shows didn't count. Yeah, that's okay, the first right. one. More, there's more to come. Yeah. I got him out pre-show. But he did get mostly. a technical foul with 502 to For go. For saying that's a foul. Yeah, that, that, the, the technical seemed very ticky-tacky, and Mick, obviously after the game, was not very happy with the officiating. I thought the game was uh, extremely physical, and that's – uh, not Kyle Washington's style of play. Uh, I was extremely concerned with uh, the way the game was being played. Uh, I knew the shooting wasn't going to continue like that. Uh, and my, my fears came. I used to coach in the league, so I know they ignore, that league ignores how every, every NCAA directive and how everybody else plays their games. Uh, tried to prepare our guys for it all week. We in the second half, their physicality just took us completely out of our offense, and we let it happen. And it wasn't until we were down ten we started playing through contact on the offensive end and actually scoring some points. We were, I'm going to say, we were stuck on. We were, we were, we had about 12 points in the first 13 minutes of the second half. You know, meanwhile, uh, you're, you're just not going to win that way on the road against a really good team. You got to score more points than that. Uh, you know, we held them to 35% shooting in the second half, but we, this game was the story of the foul line. Look, they made 21, we only shot 13. You got no chance when that happens. No chance, none. And, and we don't play defense like that uh, because when we do, it's a foul every time. So. You know, you're not supposed to be able to just body block people, but that you know, it's the way the game's going to be played. That's just how it is. Can you teach Kyle to to, to play more physically? You know, Bill, it's just uh, the way the way the game, the rest of the country officiates the game now. You're not allowed to touch the guy with the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a skilled guy, but uh, you know, he, he uh, he's got to control his emotions. You know, he you know, it, it, they got in his head with their physicality. Mick playing a little fast and loose with facts there. <laughs> well, I, I, let me just say this. And the Big East is the most physical conference. Oh, it is. Oh, 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 hold, on, hold on, hold on. Let's start with the first flaw. Okay. That there aren't conference officials. The Big East true. doesn't call the, the game different from any other conference because the officials ref all the same conferences. They're private contractors who ref different conferences. You don't have you do. You have a lot of guys who do. Yeah, you don't have just ACC. But you have guys that get Big East assignments. You have guys that have regional assignments and they work in multiple conferences and games that are close to their region. And the big ones travel all across the country. But I mean, does John Higgins ref a game differently when he's doing the Big Ten versus the Big Twelve? Does he change the rules for the Big Ten? Maybe. I think I, I will say this. Conspiracy theorists over there no, on uh, Clifton. When, when we did the, the coaches versus cancer panel before the season started, I asked every coach a question about, you know, I think it was something, if you could change something, what would it be? And a couple of them even said that they would just like to see consistency on a game-in, game-out basis. from a, if, if you're going to say the directive is this to start the year, 
Call it that way the whole year. Don't call it that way up to a point and change. And I think that's the most frustrating thing for everybody as a coach is you're trying to teach your guys on both both sides. Here's how you guard. Here's as physical as you were allowed to play up to a point. This is when the whistle will blow. And if it, if it changes from game to game, I think that's the most frustrating thing for a coach. I know you're about to disagree with this, but but I, I, it's extremely frustrating. And I'm not here to tell you that, look, you see, if, if they're going to push you, I'm pushing back. I agree with everything you're saying, except that's not what Mick's talking about. He's not saying, oh, in the beginning of the year they call it one way and conference play we get in and they change it. He's saying in the Big East, no, you're right. I'm played on a, at someone else's home court and they screwed us. He's saying that we got we got cheated basically is essentially what he's saying. And uh, to be honest, it just sounds like Mick's happy to be out of the Big East be- because he can't take the officiating. He's 0-5 against the new Big East. So I think he's just happy to not have to play in that conference anymore. That's fair. Chad Randall? With a smirk on your face? Next. <laughs> well, I do, Next want to, question. I do want to touch on one other thing from, from the game is uh, a guy who had not shot the ball very well, Troy Copain, especially in the first game. half, did. And yeah. that, that's at least a, a well, he positive was drive, sign. He was driving, and he got his game going, attacking the rim, getting to the free throw line, had a couple of AM1s, and then his jumper came around a little bit. He, he, he was aggressive. Like we've talked about Jacob Evans needing to be aggressive. Troy needed to be more aggressive and not settling for, for jumpers. When he was playing downhill, when he was attacking, he got himself going. He had an incredible first half. He just, uh, unfortunately, it, it, they weren't able to follow it up with anything in the second. Big East is a cheat league, Rick. That's all I know. I guess so. I mean, but it, it, it is, I, I will say, UC does a great job of, fa- of defending without fouling. That is a fact. I will give them that. But it is weird to hear, like, everyone across the country talks about how tough UC is, and that's their, you know, they'll just beat you up. You're going to go in there, and you're going to be in a war. And then after after you go and play someone who's tougher, it's like ah, they were too tough. Like we we can't we got to call some fouls, guys. Can't can't play that tough. That's that's too much for us. At the end of the day, did the better team win that game? Yeah, I mean that's what it comes yeah. down to. And and if you're Kyle Washington, maybe lesson learned. And that's that's what you better hope moving forward. Exactly. I, I mean, I hope somebody washes his uh, uniform after the game. Or washes it. Yeah, or washes it either way. One or the other. All right, let's move on to uh, Xavier, 77-69 winners over uh, Utah. Um, a Utah team that, that does like to, to score a little bit and try to get up and down the floor a little bit at times. But uh, what was your main ta- main couple of takeaways from it, Rick? Rashid Gaston. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be the takeaway if you're a Xavier fan. I mean, Xavier didn't play a whole lot differently from the way it's played the last two games. Well, J.P. McCure made shots. That's a, that's a big difference. He, he made shots, which was nice, but that's what I was just going to say. They didn't play much differently. They had J.P. make a few more shots. They had Rashid Gaston finish a little bit better inside. And Utah wasn't as good as the last two teams right. they played in and, and you're, and you're at home. I wasn't all that impressed with, with Utah, to be quite honest. I didn't think it was like a, an impressive win for X. But the play by Rashid Gaston is important because Xavier just didn't have any type of consistent production in the post. I mean, they they had the rebounding. They were, they've rebounded really well the entire year. Right now, they're rebounding better on offense and defense than they ever did at any point last season with James Farr and Jalen Reynolds. Which is crazy to think. Because everyone thinks, like, oh, they're missing James. They're missing James. And it's like, really, they've been a better rebounding team without James Farr, despite how great he was at rebounding last year. So that the, the rebounding production has always been there. But the fact that they now have a guy that they can run a set to and he'll get him a bucket. They have a guy that they're confident will finish if they give him to the ball on the block. They have a guy who will get his own basket when he when they throw the ball into him. That's a big difference because that helps you power through those moments in a game where you're missing shots. Right. Like JP's 0 for 4 and you're like, we just need a freaking bucket because we're getting stops, but we can't get back into the game. 
when you can throw the ball inside and someone can at least make a layup, that helps. And Rashid Gaston showing that maybe he can do it after really struggling to finish early in the season. Yeah, Trayvon Blewett, uh, after we talked about it, he was 6-13 of 13 on threes in the Colorado game. And that, I mean, it's, it's a fine percentage. He doesn't take as many and started started getting some stuff going. Got to the line a few times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he made free throws at the end of the game. Really, he didn't. He wasn't a factor the whole first, I mean, 30 minutes of the game. And then the final 10 minutes, he kind of helped them seal the win. I mean, I think he only had like eight points or six points going or something down the stretch. going into those final 10 minutes. And then, of course, he made like six free throws in the final two minutes. Xavier, you know, they shot terribly at the line this year. They were five for 11 to start that game, and people were getting pretty wild on social media. And that's... Much to Chris Mack's chagrin, um, and the Adders, the Adders. Well, we got that audio too. If you want to hear, yeah, I do. We can talk that. about that. Yes, um, but. They finished at the line 10 for 10 in the final minute to close the game. You'll take that, and I'm sure Chris was happy to see it. I, I think what I what I was most impressed with, Utah kept making runs at them, and Xavier did a nice job every time responding. Like it would get down to three or four. Yeah, it got down to four twice, and it late. never. But they never got over the hump. They never got it within one score. They never got it tied. Uh, Xavier just kept you know taking punches, taking punches, and then they'd swing back, which is and, what they struggled with. You know is. They've struggled to with with teams making runs at the end and yeah. holding on to that lead and, and staying. I know Mac was pissed about the last minute or whatever, but I mean, I thought they put themselves in good position to keep the, that team at arm's length. Yeah, and Quentin Gooden deserves some credit. The first time it got down to four there in the second half, and Utah had their most momentum of the game. He came out. They they tried to run a set, didn't score. They got to stop on defense. Quentin came down, got a floater. To, to finish, then drove the next time, kick out three, so they go back up, you know, by by several points. And then um, later in the game, he, he made another nice assist to kind of keep them going in a similar situation. So I thought as much as he struggled at times, especially in those types of situations, you feel like, man, we can't have him on the court right now because of turnovers. He's just not comfortable. He made some big plays in this one. Well, for both UC and, and for and for Xavier, um, not a lot of games left in the non-league. I mean, for Xavier, just two left, if I'm not mistaken. For, Z, for UC, three left. Yeah, heading into, into conference play. Three extremely winnable games for UC with Texas Southern, Farley Dickinson, and, uh, and Marshall, and then getting into conference play. For Xavier, they do have Wake Forest um, and then Eastern Washington a couple days after they're playing NKU. So yeah, that's right. Swing, we, can scout, we can all go scout them. We can podcast there for preview drink, for the Xavier game drink, if you want. Drink a beer and, yeah. and scout it. I, I, don't, I don't mind. Is that, you said Eastern Washington. I did, Washington. Eastern Washington, just for you. I, just figured, I figured I'd, I'd try to clean up my act just a little bit, just for you, Chad. But um, these next couple of weeks for teams, uh, you know, after they come out of finals and they really – it becomes full basketball mode. I mean, it, it, it's become a famous thing, obviously, in Lexington with the whole Camp Cal thing. and in the, in the it, God, Yeah, barf. exactly. I know. I'm rolling my eyes with you. But, but for a lot of these coaches, this is an important couple-of-week period because it really is a lot of basketball for everybody to really sharpen things up going into conference play. I think what people don't know or what doesn't get talked about outside of the Camp Cal um, that, that's unlimited, the day that, you know, now that UC's done with, uh, exams, they're on break. That's right, because they're already. That's right, they're already out. From from any time that you're not in session, the 20 hours a week rule is out the window. You can practice as much as you want. Um, you know, a lot of coaches go two a days at this point right. in time. Um, it, it gives you a chance to take in where your team was up to this point, and and then reassess and and work towards. Uh, getting conference play started. So it, it, is a, it is a time where coaches are in their element at least. And, and I think for both of these teams, if you're the coaching staff, you feel really good about what's about to happen the next two weeks because 
you're both in a good spot. You, you did what you needed to in the non-conference where you're set up for a, a good run going forward. Your mm-hmm. resume is in good shape. Yet both of them probably feel like they're struggling right now and probably really have the attention of, the, of their kids. Because I know in the Xavier, like, they don't feel like they've clicked at all in the Xavier locker room. Right. They don't feel right. like they're hitting stride. They feel like they've struggled. And I'm sure yeah. you see coming off kind this of same loss. Because yeah. it feels like the same MO in, in what's taking place for a lot of these games. I mean, it really does. Yeah. They, I mean, they haven't, like, dominated. And, you know, right. they, they've had a couple big wins, but they have not been a dominant team. They certainly aren't playing to their potential. And I think most of all, they feel like they're behind the eight ball. And, and UC might not have felt that way, but you come off a loss heading into the break, and now you're probably yeah. right in that same boat. Touch on Kentucky very quickly. They did get a win over Hofstra. They do have a couple of decent tests here in, in the non-league coming up. Um, for, for them, really, once you get into conference play, the conference is just, again, just not very good. Dread. Um, how big are the, the Carolina and Louisville games for them to kind of seal the resume, maybe all told, because they're not going to suffer a bunch of bumps in conference play. They're not going to help themselves in conference play. I, it just the, You've got a couple games where you can solidify yourself and then put yourself in a, in a spot where you're fighting to get back into that, that, that top seed line. And this is something that's never going to be talked about with UK and we've never brought up, but I think you bring up a good point is the fact that the SEC, it helped, like, it's not bad. It's not going to hurt you, but it does not help Doesn't you help build you. a resume. Correct. We saw that last year with UK. Right. They ended up with the seed that they, I mean, as it turns out, it probably wasn't wrong, but like, they could have had a much better seed considering who they were and the type of team they had, but they didn't do enough out of conference. They got into conference. Like, you look at the resume, right. it just wasn't there. Right. If they don't win a couple of these games, because they missed the UCLA opportunity at home, you don't win. Uh, Really, both of the UCL or the Louisville and North Carolina games, like you yeah, have one, a, one, one other neutral and one obviously the other one at Louisville. You have a good resume, but you don't have a great resume if you're UK and an elite resume. No, and, and you can't get it in the SEC. Right, the, you know, Florida looks okay. Um, Bruce Pearl, it's taken longer to get Auburn going than I than I think he Me anticipated. Right. Yeah, um, you know, they've hired some good coaches into the league. They just haven't really seen any results. And then, you know, Johnny Jones is still employed at LSU, so they stink. <laughs> it's, yeah, they're not, they're not very good. Did you see my tweet to Scott Phillips yesterday? I did not. He uh, said it's really tough watching Markel Foltz have to play on this terrible team. And I said, you spelled coach wrong. <laughs> That's tremendous. <laughs> tremendous. All right, uh, it's our pleasure at this time. We're going to welcome in the head coach of NKU, John Brandon, whose team is off to a, a, a very good start and uh, looking forward to, to chatting with him. All right, as we roll along on the podcast, our pleasure to welcome in the uh, head coach of Northern Kentucky University, John Brandon, whose team is certainly playing very good basketball, beat Southeast Missouri State on Saturday 80-66 to to improve to 7-3 and in the non-league. And, John, as we all know, when, when this has gone into the Division One process for NKU, it has been a, a slow building process, and slowly but surely, you're starting to get players that can certainly uh, play at this level and, and start to win at this level. No, no question, Richard. It, it starts in recruiting. I mean, obviously, your first year, you're trying to build a base. You're trying to build a culture. And the coach will tell you, you know, the expectations, how things are going to be done, day-to-day operations, which we call quality control. And then it really comes down to recruiting. You know, how quickly are you able to establish some inroads in recruiting to the style of play that you want to have? And so to our staff's credit, we've been able to do that pretty quickly. And uh, to our young men's credit, they've, they've done a great job of, you know, in year two, really understanding the style of play and the system that we've tried to put in place. And, uh, you know, we've gotten off to a pretty good start. Coach, talk about the, the development of Drew McDonald. Everybody knew, you know, he had a chance to be a pretty good Division One player. I don't think anybody thought it was he was going to be at, at at this level as quickly as he has been. He's having a fantastic sophomore season. 
That's a great question. I tell you, I've been asked that a lot. It really comes down to a few things. One, his intellect, extremely high basketball IQ. And the other piece is his competitive credibility. He's extremely competitive. And I think that that really shows up in a number of different things. You know, basketball is not just about how high you can jump. We joke around with Drew all the time that he's probably the the, uh, slowest and it doesn't really jump as high as everybody else, yet he beats everybody off the bounce and gets where he wants to go because of his understanding of the game and the commitment level that he has and really because of his competitiveness. He's in great shape. He's lost about 17 pounds since he got to campus, and he's got a lot of confidence in his game, and his teammates have a lot of confidence in him. And I think it's now just really starting to show up on the court. Do you ever play him in golf? No, no, we we're not allowed to talk about golf during the season. Uh, <laughs> plays enough golf in the off season with my staff. I think my assistants enjoy it more because they get to go out and play with it. Uh, I don't play a whole lot of golf myself. I heard to stay. I heard I got to stay away from him. Yeah, you, you're going to have to get a handful of strokes from him. He is really, really good. Hey, Coach, That's what I heard. Coach, we we talked about the recruiting and. Um, I think the most interesting part of what you guys are doing so far this early in the year is you're rotating so many new pieces and they're playing key roles and you've got a lot of different guys coming together and playing with chemistry. What was what was the most difficult part of all this, getting getting everyone on the same page so quickly and also not necessarily knowing what your rotations were going to be, you know, the first 10 games of the year. You guys have been playing yeah, a lot of different know, uh, lineups. Yeah, another great question. Extremely challenging, probably the most challenging part of this team is just trying to figure out the dynamic of what the rotation would be. And we're still in the process of doing that. You know, we've lost Jalen Tate and Blake Spellman. Those guys have been out. Jalen's out an extended period of time with a broken hand. He had surgery last week, and Spellman's been out with a concussion. So that's been the most challenging part. I know it's probably been challenging for our young men because some of them have inconsistent minutes and other games will play more than others. Uh, you know, I really relied on our veterans for that, to be honest with you. The LeVon Hollins, the Drew McDonald, the Cole Murrays, who have, you know, sustained minutes each and every game they've helped me in terms of moving those guys around and watching their development and seeing how they help the young guys they've helped me visualize the rotation a little bit more if you will because of their stability within the lineup so it's it's been the hardest part it was great for the Miami of Ohio trip we did we played three straight games in three days once I got the rotation figured out there and then we had some injuries but we, I think now we're going in the right direction for that 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 has been far by far I think any coach will tell you Minus maybe Chris because he's got a veteran group or, you know, maybe a guy who's got more guys coming back. You really don't know your team until around Christmas. And I feel like that's kind of where we're at. Coach, when you when you got the job, Carson Williams was obviously a kid that you immediately um, targeted and, and made somebody a priority for the program. He goes, you, you get him, he goes out and wins Mr. Basketball in the state of Kentucky. What does it mean for the, the program to get the player of the year in the state? And, and what does that statement say about, you know, where you guys are at on the on the way up the, the ladder? Yeah, Chad, sort of that helps. You know, I mean, given Mr. Basketball, never had one of those here from the Kentucky University, and I'm from Kentucky, no matter how prestigious that award is. Um, more so than just the, probably the mileage he gave us in recruiting was he, he, Carson Williams. I mean, he I've never been around a young man who is so consistent. You know, from the standpoint of freshman, I know I'm getting out of him every game, and that's refreshing. It's comforting as a head coach to know what you're getting from him every single day. And he's got a warrior's mentality. I knew he'd increase our toughness immediately. 
as well as our athleticism. Uh, so he's been a welcome addition to our lineup, and certainly his teammates really, really enjoy having him on the team as well. But the Mr. Basketball thing certainly helps. And the development of a, of a Drew McDonald helps, because I think what people see is when you come to Northern Kentucky, we're in the development you know, business of developing guys. We're not Kentucky where we're bringing guys in. They're going to leave here in a year or two. And we're going to have the best players. We got to be in the we got to be in the development stage. I think people are seeing that. John, one of the impressive things I guess about the seven and three start is is you are four and one in road games and and technically one and one in, in neutral games. Um, what what is that? How does that bode maybe for when you get in conference play when you're playing half of those games on the road that your team has at least shown they can handle uh, going on the road and winning on the road. Yeah, Richard, I think that, that we, can, we can reflect back on that. So now we go on these, you know, we're our travel partner leagues. So we'll go two straight in Detroit at the end of the month, play Detroit and Oakland. We can reflect back on, hey, it doesn't matter where we play. You know, we're going to bring whatever, you know, rebounding goes on the road, defense goes on the road. Those things travel, and that's why we're winning basketball games. So that really helps our guys a great deal. And uh, I think it's you start to develop a, a culture of being able to win no matter where you're at, and I think that kind of permeates your program and helps you as you lead in the conference play without question. So, you know, it's why, you know, Xavier, for example, has played two straight tough road games. It's why Chris does it. You, know, you play tough road games to prepare yourself for what you have to do in conference. We're doing the same thing here in the Rising. Coach, just in terms of what what you guys have already built through these these first ten games, you're heading into uh, obviously a tough stretch with like Richard men- mentioned with your conference play. Th- this is your chance. You've already sold me. I-, I saw free beers at halftime. I saw fun basketball being played over in Highland Heights. He saw so- the beer before the basketball, John. I I brought that up skinny. I, I made that clear. Um, this is your chance to pitch fans that haven't seen. What, what's your style like? Tell fans what they're going to experience when they come to watch uh, the SNKU team play. Yeah, Rick, what they're going to see is they're going to see a fun style of play. First of all, we embody what I think Northern Kentucky is about. We're a tough basketball team. We're going to play, we're going to play with an edge. You know, we're, we're going to come at you, whether it be offensive or defensive. We're going to utilize the whole court. We call it 94 feet both ways. So we're going to come up and down offensive and defensive. We're going to be in attack mode the entire game. And it's a fun style of play to watch. I certainly enjoy coaching it. I think our thing is, is just getting people in here in the BB&T and recognizing what a fun environment a game day experience is here, how easy it is to come over from Cincinnati with five, mile, five and a half miles across the bridge. And you're going to see a team that's fun to watch and somebody that you can say, you know what, that's a hometown team. That's somebody I'd like to follow that we don't necessarily see on ESPN every other night. NKU does play. You guys got exams, I'm assuming, this week, John, because there's a, there's a gap in we the do. schedule before you play Sunday against uh, Eastern Washington. But you don't have a lot of games um, over the next probably two-plus weeks before you get into conference play. Last question, how much is this time of year when you get out of those final exams? And, and really, I think after finals, you've got three games before conference begins and a, some time to work on things. How big of a time is that for you guys to prepare for conference? It's huge. I mean, it's what I'm doing all day today. You know, so I stopped to, to talk to you guys. We're in total evaluation of our entire program right now. We're looking at everything offensively. We're looking at everything defensively. We'll be in a lot of cleaning things up this week. We'll implement new things. I think as a coach, you've got to constantly change what you're doing offensively because teams are going to catch up with you. So you've got to constantly evolve offensively throughout the year. I think defensively, you're, you're stable. You probably need to maybe add a few wrinkles. But offensively, you've got to continue to develop and evolve. And that's where we're at. We're in evaluation mode of everything we've done the first 10 games and where we can kind of go from here. So we did it intentionally. We went heavy, heavy early, 10 games in 32 days. And now we're going to get a chance to evaluate where we're at and try to get better from there. 
Coach, can can we get Rick like one of the Norse helmets and like a foam finger, some gear or something? Like, I mean, he's diehard here. This is this is this is well, the number one fan of the Norse. I'm just well, telling I'm really it like it is. Of, of Rick in terms of him selling Norse and raising the Norse flag, and I will, you know, Richard, I'll tell you this much about those two guys, and for the people that are listening, you know, Chad and Rick both have tremendous respect in the coaching professions. Those guys really grind it on the recruiting trail. And when you see those guys, they're, they're very knowledgeable of recruits. They're very knowledgeable of programs. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be on the show today, but you know, those guys do a great job at what they do. And uh, certainly, you know, them championing the Norse cause here at AKU, I think we continue to put that out there. More and more people understand why we're having success here. Your check is in the mail. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. And Brendel's head just blew up. So <laughs> other than that, that was great. John, we appreciate you joining us. We look forward to, to having you on again, uh, certainly when you get into conference play. And uh, best of luck heading into the end of this year and, and into next year and into conference play. Thanks, guys. Appreciate, appreciate it. Me on. Thanks, Coach. All right, fellas, uh, we appreciate John Brandon. As you know, he's, uh, he's certainly a guy that a lot of us even knew from, from playing in high school at Newport Central Catholic. I knew him from college. I met him in college. I know you did. Um, uh, and certainly followed his career. And uh, I, I was really high. As much as I'm a Dave Beasel and I are pretty good friends, um, disappointed that, that he didn't get a chance to stick this out through the whole period of time, I am happy that John's having some success. And I think, you know, I think long term he's going to have some good success. I think Dave Beasel deserves a ton of credit for too. the fact that they're at where they are right now yep. because that transition should have been way more difficult. Correct. Than it was for Dave Beasel. He made that really smooth, and he put the pro- program in a position where it was set up for success. He had it. He had it built for success going forward when he when he was ousted, and then John Brandon just been able to continue to build off that, and they both deserve a lot of credit for it. Rick, we both knew that he had a reputation as a guy that could really recruit. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised at the level of kid that he's been able to bring in? Because I think instantly. It has gone from, you know, a D2, D1 mix of kids. All of those kids are – most of all of those kids are mid-guys, yep. mid-level guys. I mean, we're not talking low-major low major, kids. Yeah, we're talking these are kids that if, – if Carson if Miami of Ohio landed Carson Williams, they would have been ecstatic. Yeah. I mean, any MAC program. So he has jumped the level of talent coming in there instantly. Well, they They – one, they targeted the right guys, yeah. which is exactly what you're Absolutely. talking about. They went after guys that were mid-level type players that were clearly Division One guys that maybe didn't have enough recognition, maybe weren't hadn't blown up on the recruiting trail yet. Whatever the case was, they went out and targeted guys maybe that they could get that were the right level. Yeah, where you look at a Carson Williams, you're like, well, he's not going to be able to play in the post at, in, at this level, and, and he's just a good athlete. Right, and, and then the second thing about that is they – they didn't strike out on any of them. No. All of them, one, a bunch of them can contribute right away. And the other ones, like, hey, they're going to be nice players down the line, too. From they got a seven-footer coming in next year that's pretty good, too. Right. I mean, going forward, you're going to have some swings and misses in recruiting. We know how that works. But for this class, this first class, to be as big as it is and as talented as it is, I mean, just a huge home run for his staff. Right, we'll probably talk about this moving forward, but just a quick, quick wrap-up on this. Um, as, as you look at what they've done in the non-league, as I mentioned, they, they're four and one on the road, and they're not great road wins, but you know you, you you did win on the road at teams that you could maybe say are a little comparable teams in your league, maybe a little lesser. Semo's probably a little lesser. Moorhead this year's probably a little lesser, but around that level, I think that does have to bode well. I mean, I, I'd be shocked if this team doesn't fight for five hundred or above in that league. I think oh, I'm, they go above five hundred. Yeah. I'm telling you, they're going above five hundred. They were picked to finish sixth in this conference, and I'm telling you right now, third. Thinking third. They can compete for third. I don't think they're third as good as the top right two teams, yeah. but they're as good as anyone else on any given night. And they they will upset some teams they're not supposed to. And if you're in that 
conversation. I mean, if you're at the, the top four in the conference, you can win the tournament. You can win the tournament. Yeah, right, right. And that's all it takes. That's, I mean, all that's the, what yeah. it takes. And that's what matters. And it's so. it's, it's going to be an exciting run to watch. I'm telling you, like, I know a lot of people around here probably do not care a whole lot right now, but it might be something to look at going forward. If you're just into basketball and you're like, hey, it'd be fun to have a local low yeah. major to follow in the tournament at some point. This is a team that's going to be there at some point. I'm telling you, yeah, it's, not, it's not necessarily this year. That'd be ridiculous to say, but you never know. It was really cool when he got the job. Be, I consider him a friend just yeah, because we go right, back as right. far as far as we do. It was really cool when he got the job because and he just kissed both your asses and as he was wrapping that up. That's right. <laughs> shout, <laughs> out to him, shout, shout out to him for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but but we, I mean, we do. We go back to Marshall in the in the mid '90s, and it, it, very cool when he got the job, and even more awesome to see. That it's working and that he's having success and he's really building something there. Um, to enjoy it while it lasts. No one was surprised by that, but you're right. When you see someone you like, you go, "Oh, good! Like that's that's good. I hope it works out for them." It's a whole different thing when it. Hey, it's working out. Yeah, like, he's doing absolutely. a really good yeah, right. job. Right. It's a lot more fun when that happens. No doubt. All right, final take time, fellas. Uh, I'll start with you, Chad. Your final take. Hold on. Can we start with this real quick? Yes, you can. Our guy is back. The most electric father in wait, all, in wait, all wait. of high school basketball. Love it. Go. Guys, I'm here with the most famous father in high school basketball, LeVar Ball. I'm going to give you a new nickname, The Prophet. It was about this time last year when you predicted that Chino Hills would go 35-0, win the national title. That came true. Any predictions for this year's Huskies team? Same thing. Can't nobody beat us. We're playing a pro style in high school. Who's going to stop us? If you can't score 100, you can't even beat us. We're just playing right now. We're playing with 48. God, how about UCLA? Have you gone on record there? I've gone on record to tell. I know what my boys are about. That's why I say that with confidence. I know what they bring to the table, and I know the right uh, ingredients that they have with their team over there, so that's why I made that statement. O- electric Factory. The man is an electric factory, and he, while he was giving that interview. We just playing with him. While he was giving that interview. We got interview, 48. We just playing with him. He had a big baller shirt on it. Big baller. I saw I saw, I saw. the uh, the still photo of that. That was tremendous. Great look. And, I, and I'm actually going to uh, go somewhere down that direction. Nice. When's the last time we've had a year with this many fantastic point guards around college basketball? It's, it's, yeah, so it's loaded. unbelievable. And, and there are guys that, you know, like if, if, if I don't even think people know who Jawan Evans is at Oklahoma State. Right. He's awesome. Or, or like Tyler Lewis is playing out of yeah, his mind Tyler for Lewis Butler is playing right now. great at Butler. And it's like he's not even on a radar because there's 10 guys. Lonzo Ball and, and Malik, or not Malik Monk, but Darren Fox, Darren Fox and, and, and Markel Foltz and the, both kids at Kansas, Frank Frank. Mason and Devontae Graham. And you go down the list, man, there are just – I've never seen anything like it to have one season where you're looking at – there's 15 high-level, probably eight of them NBA point guards and 15 high-level college point guards. It's awesome to watch. Which brings up kind of an interesting thing for Xavier fans because, I mean, before the season, it's like Edmund Sumner's a done deal. He's, he's right. going and more maybe than not, yeah. He's – he started off really slow to this year. He hasn't figured it out the way everyone, I think, thought he would. And now you're looking at a situation where, look, be, just in a normal draft, he would fall in line somewhere where he's definitely on a draft board. In this draft, you've got to take the normal starting spot and then tr- drop it down three notches. There's going to be three point guards that are three point guards higher level than we ever really see. I mean, yeah. the top three point guards of this draft could be the three of the top five picks in the draft. So, I mean, I could see Fultz and Ball, Ball in the top three. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, and, definitely. And, and Fox, not too far behind. 
fine. He could easily be a top five or seven guy. So it, you really have to start looking at your Edmund Sumner about the earning potential and where you're going to get drafted this year versus potentially waiting a year in a much weaker draft class. It's interesting. Is it is the is this just a rare class in your in your mind, or is it a stage where you start to look at where kids are younger? That that they instead of being pigeonholed as the as the biggest kid on the team and they throw them in the post that mom and dad or even the kid wants to be a point guard because they want to want to go to the next level and they start doing that from you know fourth fifth sixth grade on up that they don't want to be hey I'm the biggest kid but I'm not the post guy I want to learn how to do the other skill set and again you have to have talent don't get me wrong it's not like you can take a six seven kid who's twelve years old and go son go be a point guard you can't automatically do that but I, I just wonder because some of these guys we're talking about are long yeah I, I think there's some of that. I think it coming up, we knew this class was was point guard heavy. We knew there was a lot of really good quality point guards. I mean, do, are, are we including Frank Jackson as well, who's been pretty damn good as a freshman for Duke, who's been playing that point guard role, although he's more of a, a scoring combo guard. Right. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that you hit a bump, and I think there's you know, like Evans is a sophomore. You've got some veteran guys, Mason and and Graham's a little bit older, and. It's kind of a mix. Tyler Lewis is a fifth-year senior. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a mix in there, but the freshman group is definitely leading the pack, and there's just a whole bunch in line right behind them. Yeah, it's it's a it's a special class for point guards. There's no it's a special class, that. period. Yeah, and and certainly for point guards, especially. Um, but I think a lot of it's uh, owed to Levar Ball and the way he's teaching. Uh, Changing, changing youth basketball. Hoisted thirty-five footers, baby. Let them fly. <laughs> Did you see the thirty-footer that his son hit yeah. in, the, in the first half of that game? I mean, by the way, UCLA is must-watch television. They are on TV right now. Uh, they're going to average ninety. Uh, like seriously, would they have ninety-six Saturday? No, one hundred and two. One hundred and two. They put one hundred and two. I think I saw, man, I saw ninety-six four. It was final then. Okay, they put five players in double figures. Shot fifteen for twenty-four from three, and and like Michigan, who lost the game. Shot fifty percent from the floor, right. like fourteen for twenty six from three. Committed just eight turnovers and lost and by eighteen lost. points. Lo- yeah, blown out. Blown out. Yeah. Michigan. That's insane. I mean, that that, that, that we're gonna have to like we're gonna have to get some UCLA people listening to this because we legitimately talk as much UCLA as any we, college we, basketball like podcast the in the country. Week, it's been a three plus week process. <laughs> they couldn't be farther away from us. Correct. They're, that they're that worth it. UC Xavier, Kentucky, NKU, UCLA. UCLA. That's our Tri-state, format. Try state hoops talk. <laughs> exactly right. All right, your final take time, Rick. Um, I will say he Rob- wants to talk about Lonzo Ball. I know because <laughs> the great part is no, he he loves to drop it in sound, and he knows he's going to get quality sound from the cat from the cat's dad every time. Yeah, so Le- I'm telling you, Lavar Ball is the man, the go-to guy for sound this year. Um, I want to give at, last week I, I was complaining about the way rankings were done and how people figured that out. I want to give a shout out to Rob Doster from NBC Sports Talk, uh, College Sports Talk because he put out his top 25 last night. Put Duke number one as his top team again. And uh, Gasp, he actually thinks they're just the top team, despite the fact that other teams ahead of them didn't lose. He just said, look, I think Duke is the best team. I'm not going to wait for UCLA or whoever to lose games behind them and decide that I'm allowed to put them back there. I'm going to put them number one. That's where I I used to have to vote in the the AP poll in in Ohio and in Kentucky for high schools. And and I would sometimes do a ranking and you'd look and – you you just know when a team passes an eyeball test, and you would always their record may be worse, and I'd rank them higher. And and I think in this case, just 
you don't do it based on because a team lost, you drop below a team that won and so forth. I think you continue each week to look and go, which team do I genuinely think is yep. better? Which one, if I put them on a neutral floor today, do I genuinely think would win that game? I, I think that's the way. But it, it's just easy to go, well, they lost, they won. Let's move them up. Let's move them down. We're done. I mean, I, Can we get like Duke-UCLA like next week sometime? Can, <laughs> yeah. We just slide that in. 133-131. Like an like old ABA game. That, yeah, I Get the ABA basketball yeah. out. I don't agree with him that Duke is necessarily the top team right now. But, I if, it's his have be- but if it's his belief. But I respect the right. hell out of him just saying, I'm not going to wait to, for you guys to tell me what I'm allowed to do. I'm going to rank them one. Because that's how you avoid what we were talking about last week, where right. you have Xavier ranked seventh in the country, and then you drop them to 20th or whatever. When You look stupid because you never believed Xavier was a top 10 team. Have them at 15th. That way, when they lose, you only drop them a few spots, right. and it makes more sense. Did you see uh, Seth Davis last night? No. Had you see at 16 and Butler at 22, 21? Really? Yeah. That's an interesting strategy on ranking teams. He said the what was Indiana, he said what was the reason? The Indiana State loss was was more of a reason to bump Butler down than the Butler loss was a reason to bump Cincinnati down. I mean, that logic, I get what he's saying, but I mean, I think that's what Indiana State on Larry Bird's 16th, 16th birthday, birthday was yeah. one of those things yeah. just go well. I yeah. think I I would have put him closer at least. I mean, yeah. that five five six spots between them. I even I Looked at that and went, eh, I don't know about that. Yeah, Xavier at 15, UC. Is, well, what yeah, happens? They're looking to make sure it wasn't UC hyphen Davis. Right. Well, what, what happens Irvine. is he runs out of characters right around that 16, 17 spot. Right, so he just starts so I, I saw the second tweet first yeah. that had the rest of the top 25, 18 through 25. Maybe it was Colorado. And I went, oh, I didn't rank them. And then I saw the other one and I went, oh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, by the way, Doster had XU at 16 and UC at 22. So I think, I think 22 was probably about right, right for about UC. Right. I think UC is a t- top 25 team yeah. and probably right in that 20 to 25 spot yeah, right now is right. I agree. Yep. All right. Uh, fellas, what do you got up on, on your website at Bearcat Journal? Football, 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 football. Um, got a lot, of, a lot of stuff on uh, Coach Fick. Get used to calling him that, Coach Fick. Uh, he's, got, he's got one hire in place already. Marcus Freeman, former All-American linebacker, is uh, coming to work for the staff. We got some stuff on that. Uh, we'll have a uh, football podcast tonight that Dave and I are doing. Hopefully, have a uh, good guest on that to give us some uh, insight on what the recruiting situation is going to be like when he comes in, and uh, hopefully, get some work on uh, who is going to be on his staff, and also uh, some good basketball coverage from Justin Berg and Kashmir Wright. And now that this chaos is over, I can finally get back in the uh, basketball groove a little bit into kind of a one sport groove. Kind of. I mean, spring football is going to be coming before you know it. Yeah, and signing day and then signing spring day, football. Yeah. Signing day. That's, that's so that's yeah, we will still have plenty of football coverage, but it will be nice to uh, get back to a normal life. It, it was great yesterday. I, I was kind of just laying around and relaxing and uh, looked at my phone at noon and it hadn't rang. That's or, good. Sometimes yeah, that's it was like, feeling. oh, my God. Text messages so returned. Great. Yeah, because that, for six, seven days it was literally from 745 in the morning until 1 o'clock in the morning. It, it was nonstop. Had to change your data plan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rick, how about for you? What do you got up on musketeerreport.com? I'm going to ask me a dumb question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Xavier content. <laughs> you got any recruiting news? You got any? <laughs> I had to use Mick for positive for once. Uh, um, 
uh, yeah, we got we got some well played, sir. I, I will so say this, well the best played. thing we'll probably do this week is it's that kind of that time we've got some time off here to evaluate, do a little deep dive into what's gone right, what's gone wrong for Xavier. We'll probably do a Dana Victory podcast with uh, Dan and Brian Snow at some point. Yeah, this week. No, no kidding. I figured you had Xavier stuff up on <laughs> the Xavier website. That, I mean, that's the best thing you've done. I'm the, trying to give you some love here, boys. I know. All I'm, I'm trying and to I do. I love you for it. I was just using the audio. I would have banged you with the T right then and there. Well, and then I would have complained about Big East officiating. Exactly. So we could play that audio too. One more time. I want to thank John Brandon certainly for being with us, the head coach of NKU. Thanks to Chad. Yeah, Rick. Yeah, he's here. At least that's I'll give him that credit. We'll be back on Friday. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Don't forget you can catch it on SoundCloud and on iTunes and on their websites and on Local12.com. The final count was? I like 46. 43, I, I think. That's it. We had the over under 45 and a half, and we both, we, we both took the over and both lost. Lost count. There we go. All right, have a great week. We'll talk to you again on Friday.